Welcome to Chats with Susan Burrell. And that's me. I help strong, capable women who have pockets of self-doubt access their inner wisdom and clarify their own truth. Chats with Susan Burrell is where we have rich conversations about empowerment, radiating your brilliance out into the world, and loving yourself more than you ever have before. And who doesn't want that? So let's get started. I am back from uh, an amazing vacation on the island of Kauai uh, with my family. And I just want to share the Hawaiian zone that I'm still in. I'm so grateful for that. Um, Mostly because I think that stepping out, what I've realized is that in my life, I best serve others by teaching from my experience or being that example of of life that I can, my best that I can be. So I want to share with you a couple of um, things that I kind of had epiphanies about while I was in this amazing, beautiful area of the world that is just so lush and so green. Now, coming from Southern California, where we are in a I don't know what level drought it is now, but a major, major drought. I I left seeing only brown everywhere. And I live in a pretty beautiful area in California anyway, but lots of brown, lots of uh, fear around what that brown means in California in terms of fires and and things like that. And, And I got to Kauai and it was so green and so lush and it was... Shocking. It was um, visually shocking. I, I found that I just had to be outside looking at the green as well as the blue of the ocean, the, all the multiple colors of the blue of the ocean, but the green where there was growth and there was just a luscious um, visual that was happening. I found my senses being steeped in that. And after, uh, three weeks on the island, uh, coming back to California, again, there was like another shock of, oh my goodness, there is a lot of brown. So what I noticed is this stepping out of my regular routine in going to a different place than I have experienced in a very long time and a physical place. It also took me to places within myself that I had not experienced in a very long time, if at all. And the stepping out of my my quiet uh, life, um, solitary life, to be with family and friends for three weeks where there was nonstop sound, nonstop talking, nonstop sound of the ocean and the surf hitting and and nonstop green and nonstop doing of, of really fun things. It It really was a place for me of looking at where am I in my everyday life, not necessarily challenging myself to be more of who I am. And where am I just settling for, oh, well, this is the way it is. Well, you know, this is my life. This is my routine. This is the way it is. And in coming back, I noticed that there's many people, I think all of us, even on on Hawaii, on, on the islands, there's still that, oh, well, here's my routine, and this is my routine. But their routine is very different from ours. But definitely, when we settle into what our routine is, then there, I noticed, as I was moving beyond my routine, that you, each of us, just begin to do less in our lives in, in terms of expanding our abilities, maybe our physical abilities in terms of expanding our conscious awareness of of what's going on in the world in terms of how we communicate with friends, neighbors, strangers. It it when we get in when we're in that place of routine, we don't get our boundaries pushed. We don't get our physical, mental and emotional uh, boundaries moved at all. It just become we become very static. And so what I noticed in being moved out of my routine is I was also being set up for physical challenges. And the physical challenges were, you know, keeping up with the young adults, uh, swimming and hiking and kayaking and zip lining and 
at one point my son turned to me and said, Mom, I want a paddleboard. Let's paddleboard. I was like, oh, my gosh, are you kidding me? But I did it. And every time I, at the end of the day, when I was sitting in my beach chair, just looking at the beautiful water, I thought, wow, I did something else I would never thought. None of these things were on my bucket list. Sitting on a, in a chair on a beach in Kauai was the only thing on my bucket list. Everything else wasn't. But what I found is in just pushing myself a little bit more, accepting the challenge of, okay, we're going to go for a big hike. We hiked up to the top of Sleeping Giant, which has a thousand foot elevation increase. And just doing that, saying, yes, I will do it. I will attempt it. I will, I will see how I can do it. And then coming back down from the mountain, literally, and sitting on the beach and just acknowledging, wow, I, there are things that I did not really realize because in my everyday routine, I don't push those boundaries. I don't say, what can I do that's different and maybe a little bit more and maybe even more fun? And I am surrounded by a lot of people that have very physical lives, um, biking and, and hiking and swimming and stuff like that. And, and I do, I had up until now done what I thought was to the extent and level of my physical capacity. So I'm sharing that with you because I think that we don't have to go on vacation to find where our boundaries are. We can begin to do that in our routine. If we can wake up, if we can be aware that this routine that we settle for, this daily living of working and paying bills and being in relationship or not, um, eating, all that stuff, sleeping, it, it is a routine. And there, it's important not to wait until you have a vacation or a time out to go, wow, there are some things I could really change. It's important to begin to see that in the livingness of life, in the daily livingness of our lives so that we can move into a place of, uh, well, this is what we talk about on Living Your Inspired Life all the time, moving into that place of inner awareness that there is more going on within me and around me than what I think, what my daily idea is. And so on Living Your Inspired Life, we're, we're getting ready to come up on our one-year anniversary on KVTA. I'm excited about that. And I want, I'm very proud of the work that we've done up until now. I'm very proud of how we share with everyone the ideas that are beyond maybe the daily norm or the daily routine, ideas of health and well-being, ideas of thriving, ideas of co-creating your life with a, a much more open-minded and, if you will, willingness to jump into the unknown, willingness to challenge, willingness to jump into that place that's different than where you're living currently. And some of the guests that we've had on up until now, I, I'm just so grateful to because their wisdom and their humor and their life experience that they've shared with us on Living Your Inspired Life, I, I think continues to uh, inspire and inform me. The wisdom the courage that people have shared with us, and the new innovative ideas that people have shared. So somebody we're going to be having on the show uh, coming up in the near future is Don Jose Ruiz. And he has a little book, a sweet little book called Ripples of Wisdom. And um, I want to read something to you from this book. I'm actually going to post it on our website, livingyourinspiredlife.org. And, and uh, Jose Ruiz says, Every word I tell myself or others is just a symbol that isn't real. These symbols are only made up in my mind, and they are my creation, my art. I am the one who gives meaning and power to every piece of artwork I create. When I create a thought in my mind and then give it meaning, it creates a feeling or an emotion within me. With this awareness, I can control the elements within myself. I can be skeptical of what I'm telling myself and make happiness my reality. Now, this quote uh, caught my attention because we all are 
creating our own stories, our own life with the words and the thoughts that we think and all of that. And what happens is when you, when we do that, we have to really, like he said, be aware of what it is that we are creating and how much of it is happiness or how much of it is drama, how much of it is trauma, how much of it is fear, how much of it is anger. And uh, when you get an opportunity to step out of your everyday life, you can begin to witness that within yourself of, wow, wow, I just made up that big story. So as an example, flying, we went, my son and I went with my parents and my whole family. And the flying aspect for my parents who are in their 80s was very challenging. So I realized each and every one of us had made up a story of what that experience was going to be. And the trip out there ended up being nothing like we all thought it would be. You know, one person thought we'd be delayed at the airport. Another person thought it was, you know, going to be challenging, you know, with the bags and the suitcases. And another person had another thought and another thought. And we're not going to get to eat on the airplane. All these little stories that were creating stress and, and worry and concern. When we got through it, we all looked at each other and went, well, that was actually a really good experience. It was fine. But it's the story, it's the words that we write in our head that then, like Jose said, is the thing that gives us a feeling or an emotion. And then we act on that as opposed to just being as aware as we can be of what the actual experience is right now in this moment. What is it I'm actually feeling? What is it I'm actually seeing? What am I actually witnessing? And that to me became one of the, well, it is always my practice to try and be as present as possible. And because that is my my uh, intention or my focus or my uh, concern, <laughs> nine times out of 10, I got to tell you, I'm not always present. I'm not always 100% awake, aware, and in tune to what's occurring. I often jump into that story in my head and then I live from that perspective thinking that that is the reality of my life as opposed to really being present with what is. I I notice that when I drive uh, around out coming out of Ojai into Ventura I will often set the intention to look at the mountains look at the trees of course right now everything's brown so that's a little challenging for me but I'll notice and I'm sure everybody does this that within five minutes, I am not paying attention to where I am. I'm on automatic pilot. My car knows exactly where it's going, how, I don't know. And I'm not looking and observing and soaking in what is surrounding me, what's around me. So on Kauai, I made intentions to really soak in all of the beauty, all of the green. So on Hiking, I, instead of being at the head of the pack, getting to the top of the mountain, I took many pauses to stop and just look at the beauty around me, look at the plant life, look at the birds, listen to the sounds that are not sounds I hear in my everyday life, in my world. And it helped me to be more present and grounded with that red earth, red dirt, and the green and the beauty of the blue, all the different colors of the blue. And then I could just kind of begin to calm down. And I, I'm sharing this again for everyone because we spend so much of our daily lives trying to figure out a way to be less stressed or be more productive or um, manage our finances better. And, and what I really think, and, and again, uh, we'll see how I practice it, but what I really think is taking like all the guests we've had on Living Your Inspired Life and all the different uh, people that are out there doing consciousness work and self-awareness work, that it is always about slowing down enough to be in the moment. And what I witness within myself is when that happens, then I can begin to see that A, my life is really okay. Um, B, there's no drama I have to rescue or change or fix and see the that slowness begins to allow me to to make better choices in my life of whether it's you know what I want to eat or what action I want to cha- take in that place of slowing down enough 
I make better choices. Now, I got to tell you, before I left, I was revved up. You know, my health was precarious and all of those things because of stress and trying to keep up with whatever it was I thought I had to keep up with. And having taken time to slow down, I noticed that, of course, my health is 100% better. My stress is 90% lower. Um, my ability to make decisions is so much easier. And my ability not to get hooked by whatever the circumstances are in my life or other people's life, I, I can see where I don't need to do those things as much, if, if at all. So one of the um, things that I have a book that a friend recommended that I'm just beginning to read, and I'm going to re recommend it to you. It's called Thrive by Ariana Huffington. And I'll, I'll probably be talking about it more later in the uh, month. Um, but what she talks about is that looking at success, it's looking to, there is a new way to look at success that would actually support each of us individually as well as collectively and as well as the planet. And it's about learning how to be well, learning how to thrive she says, look to thrive rather than merely succeed based on how the world measures success. New, so she's talking about how to see a successful life, a well-lived life um, from a different uh, perspective. So perhaps it's not about working 100 hours a week and getting no sleep and staying up late to meet those deadlines or burning the midnight. Or perhaps it's not that. Perhaps it's not about making a bazillion dollars or even a million dollars. Perhaps it's about really finding within each of us that place where our health is well supported, our mental health is well supported, our, our capacity to learn is well supported, our capacity to sleep is well supported. So that in doing all of that, we may find that our definition of a successful life is different, that it's not based on the bank account or the house we own or the relationship we have or how many pairs of shoes you got in the closet. Perhaps it's based on, wow, I got a good night's sleep and I can make good choices today. And she talks about in this book, Thrive, that we are a country, an entire country that's sleep deprived. So no wonder there's all sorts of random, heinous acts happening around the country of shootings or suicides or, you know, banks failing or people uh, in high positions stealing other people's retirement funds. I mean, perhaps it's that we all just need to lay down, slow down and get some good rest so that we can wake up mentally emotionally, spiritually, and make better choices, better choices in our lives, ones that support each other as well as ourselves. So perhaps success is no longer about winning the race or beating everybody out and having the uh, monopoly on whatever it is you think. Perhaps it's about learning how to live better in community, in awareness in communion, if you will, with yourself and each other. This is something that also showed up on my uh, trip to Kauai is, again, we were hiking, got to kayak up a river and hike to a waterfall. And during the hike, we were in this amazing, what I thought was an ancient forest. And the guy that was leading us told us a story. We He showed us these old aqueducts that had been built about a thousand years ago with huge, big, huge lava rocks, you know, and, and we were up in the mountains. So how they brought all that up there, who knows? And he said that they, the original uh, people from the Philippines that came over to settle the islands knew all this stuff about irrigation and agriculture and sustainability. And they already lived from a place of sustainability of course, because there weren't any machines by then, but they knew they created this aqueduct and irrigation system so they could grow f 
food that they knew they needed in order to sustain their life. And then what happened is in the 1700s, 1800s, the white man came and did what the white man or the European people of that time thought they were entitled to do, which was take over the land from other people that were living quite successfully and harmoniously with their culture, with their land, and take it for them so they could be successful, so they could have a profit, and basically destroyed a lot of the agriculture, and then began to plant trees and plants that were not uh, indigenous, if you will, to the uh, the surrounding islands. And so all of a sudden, we're standing under these beautiful, old, old-looking mango trees. And he said, no, the mango tree was not an indigenous uh, tree to the islands. It, they came when the Europeans began to uh, take over and planted what they wanted, what they thought was beautiful, instead of looking at the beauty that already existed there, that was already sustaining itself. Part of the Hawaiian culture which is part of a lot of indigenous cultures, is the idea of being so connected with source, so connected with spirit, with the universe, with the earth, that part of their culture is to ask, not to take, but to ask, to ask permission to uh, take a fish from the river or to ask to take a shell off the beach or to ask for a piece of fruit that's fallen on the ground that you want to eat. And this at their, their idea of sustainability he shared with us was also that they knew the cycle of life so that if there were, uh, like for instance, some, I forget the name of the fish, but if there were these fishes that were, uh, they were um, being fished out, too many people were fishing them. They knew that there was a certain time of the year when they were, uh, the female fishes were pregnant, that you did not kill a pregnant female fish so that that fish could then have more fish and you did not kill the young ones either so they could grow up and procreate. So there was a, a definite balance and awareness of, okay, we've, we definitely have caught enough fish. We don't need any more fish to put in a freezer, to put on a ship, to send to Costco somewhere in the world. You know, we got enough fish right now for what we need in our area of the of the planet. And I think that the westernization of the world, now this is all my opinion, of course, but, you know, <laughs> I think that what's happened is we, we've somehow told other countries or other people in our country that if you have more, it's better. But what if you have enough? What if it's just that you have enough? Enough fish and you don't need to have more in case you don't got any. You know, it's it, it's a very old paradigm that I really believe we're seeing fall apart. There is what's causing struggle in so many different areas of American life right now, I think, is that that no, we have to have more so we can be better. What if we're better just as we are? What about that? What if we're better? with enough fish? What if we're better with what we got? And, and and so our constant comparison to what I don't have and what I have and what I need and what I think I need and what I really don't need, but I got more of, is, uh, is the thing I think that creates a lot of conflict and stress in people's lives. And so I'm just asking the question, what if what I have is more than enough. Now I'm asking that of me. You, you you don't have to ask it of yourself, but I definitely am asking that question of myself since I've been home. I ask it often actually <laughs> over the last several years of what if this is enough? What if all that I do is more than enough? What if all that I am right now is enough that there's nothing that really needs to be changed? There's nothing that needs to be fixed. What if, you know, as long as I can make my, uh, make ends meet, so to speak, you know, then what if that's enough? Instead of wanting to have more so that my kid can have more or my, I don't know, I can have more in my closet or my refrigerator. I don't know. I'm just always asking myself that. And a part of that is especially because of some of the guests that we've had on Living Your Inspired Life. 
So I invite you to go to the website, livingyourinspiredlife.org, and look at some of the shows that we've done up until now. I mean, we've done shows on the very thing of what if we, what if we have enough, talking to Nipun Mehta or Biju Pandya about generosity and service in the world and putting that into your business paradigm of generous giving as opposed to <laughs> uh, taking you know, as opposed to saying, this is mine and I deserve it. What about saying, here, let me give a little bit more to you. Not because you don't have it, but because I'm, I'm being called to give you something. And that is part of the Hawaiian culture again of let me, let me ask so that I can give back. Let me be aware so that I, when I take, I know that it has to be returned in some way, shape or form. So this is the contemplation I'm having coming back from this beautiful vacation. And uh, we're playing some Hawaiian music by Iz because, <laughs> because I just got back from uh, the island of Kauai and had just a most amazing time, but mostly uh, was very aware of the things that I was not doing in my life, in my regular everyday life here in California. And on Living Your Inspired Life, we our purpose is to inspire not only ourselves, but those who listen to us to really ask the big questions of, you know, who am I? <laughs> who am I? What am I doing with my life? And where am I going? <laughs> but also to ask, you know, what is it that I'm really listening to? What's the stuff I'm putting in my head that's making me uh, crazy, <laughs> that's creating the drama and and what I notice, again, I, I teach from my own experience, but what I notice is when I allow all those voices in my head to take over, my life becomes chaotic. My life becomes stressful. My life becomes uh, a mess, a, a drama. And um, my intention over the last few years has been, my personal intention, is to not live in the drama, is to let go of the drama of my thinking. Actually, that's an affirmation I've used I let go of the drama of my thinking and I open to being love, knowing that I am already all that I need to be. So try that on for size. I let go of the drama of my thinking. I open to being love, knowing that I am already all that I need to be. And see how that works for you. In, in the, this place of looking at what am I listening to in my head, there's also the thing of what am I focusing on in my life? You know, there's all sorts of, with all the technology and all the pop-ups that show up, whether you're on a, a search engine or even on your phone, sometimes stuff pops up on Facebook, on Twitter, on, you know, what is it that I'm choosing to put my attention on? And what am I wanting to uh, allow into my thinking? So what do I want to be the food for thought? Do I want it to be all the scary negative stuff in the world or the drama that's happening with the latest um, thing or whatever it is? Or do I want it to be more of a positive experience? Do I want to have positivity in my life, which means positive thoughts, positive feelings so that now, I'm not saying that you don't ever not feel fear and anger and guilt and doubt and blah, blah. But when you do feel it, how do you get out of it? How do you, how do you get out of that default mechanism that puts you in the drama of your thinking? These are the questions I'm asking myself. Susan, how do you stop doing the drama thinking? And what I, what I know is that it takes a conscious effort to put my attention on something else. It really means detaching from that drama, taking a step back far enough so that I can see that that drama isn't necessarily mine. It might be somebody else's drama that I, I've just hooked into. You know, I mean, boy, when you spend three weeks with your family, there's all sorts of drama, let me tell you. And, you know, so am I going to hook into that stuff that isn't me, that's someone else's drama, or am I going to be honest and true with myself and and uh, apply my practice of positivity, of setting healthy boundaries for myself. 
So one of the things I noticed on this trip is that when I was not setting healthy boundaries, I was hooked into that drama. And it also, setting healthy boundaries for me, I'm learning means that there isn't a yes and a no, an us or a them, a me or you. There's a place where that boundary is strong enough, but permeable so that the communication that needs to come through, the love that wants to circulate can happen. So many times I think when people are in any relationship, whether it's a work relationship, a family relationship, a lover relationship, when we get hurt, the first thing we want to do is shut down our heart to protect it. But what happens is, according to Mark Singer, who is the author of this most amazing book called The Untethered Soul, um, what happens is when we shut down around that wounding, we have now encased that thorn, if you will, into our hearts. So think about it. When you get a splinter in your finger or somewhere else and it doesn't, you don't pick it out, you don't get it out of the skin, it begins to go deeper into that skin and begins to fester. Well, that's what happens when we shut down after we've been hurt. We think we're protecting ourselves by closing down our heart, by saying, I, you know, you don't ever get to hurt me again or whatever the story is. But what happens is we've now harmed ourselves even more by closing our heart energetically around that wounding, that thorn. And it then now has this great uh, place to fester and fester and fester and fester. And then what happens, right? When you have a splinter, you want to protect your spl- your finger, right? It, it hurts. So I'll put a Band-Aid on. If I touch it or somebody else bumps it, it hurts, right? Well, that's what happens with our hearts when we shut down, when we think our boundaries have to be so concrete that there is actually a, a, a wall built up, not a real boundary. And then what happens is we constantly bump up against other people, whether we know them or not, who trigger us because they're touching that thorn that hurts. And the only way to get that thorn out, just like with a splinter in your finger, is to be consciously aware that the owie needs to be taken care of (laughs) and that it's up to us to get that thorn out. And that means that we have to be present with those feelings. We have to be aware of what the possibility is of uh, of what it is that we allowed ourselves to take offense of or uh, protect ourselves from because we thought we were going to get hurt or we did get hurt. And oftentimes, this is the other thing, having hung out with family, is those triggers, those thorns get planted young in life so that we are getting, we have our buttons pushed as adults over stuff that happened when we were children that may or may not have been real because when you're a kid, you can't discern what's going on really. All you know is that something hurt and so I I have to take care of it. I have to protect myself. Because at that point, when you're really little, you don't even know that you can take the splinter out of your finger, right? You just know that, ow, that hurt. I better protect myself. So why am I talking about that? Um, I think that the boundaries... And we talk about boundary setting on living your inspired life all the time, do need to be permeable so that the love that really is the healing agent, it's the it's the ointment that heals the wound, the love can circulate, moving in and out, cleansing that wound and connecting you back to the person you may have been harmed by or connecting you to other people in a new way that uh, creates more awareness so that that love, that ointment keeps everything kind of lubricated so you don't get another thorn, you don't get another splinter. Um, But it isn't about just shutting everything down. So when in spending time with, um, with people that you love, pay attention to, are these also people that are, are giving me a loving, kind, respectful message? Or is it are they people that are causing me to be fearful or angry or whatever? And then you've got to be self-responsible and decide, is that anger justified or real? Most often it's not. Most often that is 
uh, a result, in, at least in my experience, of having been triggered, of having had that old thorn pushed or touched. And when I can get distance, like go for a walk or, or, or sit quietly for a few minutes in your car or in your room and really think, what it, ask yourself again another question. Hmm. What is it that's really upsetting me? What is it that I'm most afraid of right now? What is it that's triggering this drama? What, what is it that I need to let go of or detach from? What is it that I might need to ask forgiveness for? What is it I need to forgive myself for doing? What behavior that maybe caused this whole drama to blow up? Those are important questions, totally important questions. So I'll share a story. My son, whom I love and adore, uh, wanted to go paddleboarding. And I said, okay, having never surfed in my life, not even boogie boarded really. And I said, okay, so we rented a couple paddle boards and we took them to this bay that we were staying at. And, uh, and the waves were pretty raucous waves in this bay. There was a big undertow, but mom was going to be out there with her kid and get her body up on that board. <laughs> So I did. I was successful. I had I have the uh, bruised knees and shins and the skinned elbows to prove it. But what I also got to experience in getting up and trying to stand on the board and then all the many times I fell back in the water was this thing of getting back on the board. So, you know, there's the old idea of getting back on the horse after you have get thrown. Well, I had to get back on the paddle board. And at one point I fell and I I was just tired of getting up on that board. I, my, I was physically getting exhausted. And so what happened is when I fell, the board flipped over completely. And so it was upside down with the fin in the air. And I was trying to push it back over, right it, you know, make it on the right side. But I couldn't touch the ground uh, and I was in the water, right? And I tried several times. I kept pushing it and pushing it. And finally, I was just so tired. And I thought, you know what? I'm just going to ride this let this board go into the beach and um, I'm going to get out and sit down on the beach and forget about it. And, but in order to do that, I had to get to a, a way uh, that I could hold the board so it wouldn't get damaged going into the beach. So I swam to the other side of the board. Once I got on the other side, I thought, well, you know, let me try one more time because my son's still out there having a ball and I don't want to miss out. And sure enough, that time I was able to push it and write it and get back up and continue to paddle and continue that journey. And I thought later, as I'm sitting on the beach, what an analogy of life in that I kept trying to make the board turn over, go the right way. But what was happening is in the first few attempts, I was pushing against the current. I was pushing against the wave. So of course the waves kept knocking it back over. But once I realized that I was really kind of ready to let it all go and I got to the other side of the board, I was able to go with the current to make it easily turn over and right itself. And then I could continue on my journey. I could continue paddling and having fun with my son. And that seems to me to be a, an analogy for a lot of people where we're trying to correct a situation and we keep trying to make that situation right itself, but we're pushing against the current. And once we can let go of the idea that it needs to be a certain way, we can then go with the current, if you will, and it automatically will right itself. And then we can continue our journey. I can't even tell you, and I know there's many people out there listening to this, that all the different times where I've tried to make a situation work in the way I thought it should. And the moment I finally said, well, I, I can't make it work. I, I, I guess I have to just give up. I have to just let it go. The moment I surrendered, then damn, if that thing didn't turn over and write itself. And then all of a sudden it was able to go in a way that I had not necessarily anticipated. And, and, and was for the better for, for everyone concerned in whatever situation it was. And I'm sure there's many people like that. So when, we, when you're pushing that, uh, that board, trying to write it up against the current, and it takes a few times 
that might be the indicator that it's time to let go. That might be the indicator that it's time to just get to the other side of the board and see what happens instead of trying to make it work from the same position all the time. We do that as human beings. We just, it's kind of our, our tendency. We, we see, you know, it's, there's the old story of um, all the wise men surrounding, blind wise men surrounding an elephant. And each one's supposed to describe the elephant. And, you know, one says, wow, he's got this big, long trunk. And, oh, he's got this, these pointy, shiny feeling things that are tusks or that he's got this rough skin or this bushy tail or, but each of those pieces, those perspectives describe the elephant. Yes. But what happens with us is we tend to look at the one thing and push ourselves against it to try and make it work when what we might need to do is walk around it to get a new perspective. So I'm just sharing that with you. I hope, I, I don't know if it, I, hopefully it'll make a difference for you. It just give you something else to contemplate. One of the other things that I noticed on um, my trip was going back to the green of Kauai and, and the beauty. On this bay that we were on, there every day washed up onto the bay, plastic debris, <laughs> plastic debris. And I was astounded at it. I mean, it was anything from little pieces that look like little pink and blue and purple rocks to big things like, you know, a, a bleach container or plastic um, screens or, you know, and I was really astounded that here in this beauty on this island that is supposed to be away from civilization, so to speak, there was plastic washing up. And I thought about the beaches in California and how the biggest thing now, the you know, We've taken garbage, which we call beach glass, and made it into things of beauty. People are now selling it in stores as jewelry. And, and everybody goes, I mean, I have a friend, I have several friends that collect be, uh, the beach glass and sea glass and, and put it in jars and go, oh, wow, look at how beautiful it is. Well, yes. And here's the thing that I don't know that we're thinking of. Because now I could go pick up all those little plastic pebbles, put it in a jar and go, look at how beautiful that is. But my, the bigger point is, where did that debris come from? And I couldn't help but get concerned about the sea life around the island that had the opportunity to ingest all this plastic under the water, things that we can't see. So how, So I came back wondering, how much are we unaware of the actual impact that we have on this planet by saying, ooh, look at the pretty sea glass or wow, here's plastic. Let me make something out of it on the beach. How about we become even more aware of how we're taking care of the planet again? And again, this goes back to the ancient Hawaiians that, that knew, that practiced sustainability. All the um, ancient uh, indigenous people were sustainable. They just were. It's the European culture that came in and made things unsustainable in the idea of progress or ownership or money. And so I think we are kind of at that verge. If you listen to Greg Braden, one of our shows with Greg Braden or Barbara Marks Hubbard, um, you know, you'll hear us talking about the we're on the edge of a new way of thinking. We're on the edge of creating a new way of being in life. And so perhaps becoming aware in our individual lives of the small things. So when you go walk the beach and you see sea glass, yes, it, it's beautiful now that it's been polished by the ocean, but how did it get there? And what can I do? Another big question. What can I do in my small individual life to take care of the planet, to make sure that that plastic isn't washing up on an island in the Pacific. And that means becoming, maybe finding, the, uh, the internet is such a great resource. There are so many things you can find out about how to take care of the planet. And one of them would be maybe getting your own water bottle that has a filtration system in it that you fill up from your tap and it becomes drinkable water for you and you're no longer buying cases of bottled water that you just then throw away 
when you're done. Believe me, and I'm speaking from things that I've done, you know, drinking my bottled water and then I recycle it. But what if I'm not by a recycling thing and I want to clean out my car? Hmm, where does that plastic bottle go? So to think, begin to think about these things. And in small ways, we can make a choice. Instead of eating off of paper plates, perhaps you eat off of uh, regular china. And when you wash that, you don't let the water run while you're washing it. You just fill it up enough to wash it and then wait until everything, all the dishes are washed and then you rinse them all at the same time. This is also about the drought, you know. How do we take care of the, the system that we're in the ecological system that we're in right now in ways that doesn't abuse it, that makes it more sustainable, that helps the uh, water systems last a little bit longer until the rain comes. And and to develop those practices so that they don't become uh, emergency practices, they become lifestyle practices of, of uh, you know, taking a short shower. Uh, don't let the water run when you're brushing your teeth. Wait until you rinse. That kind of stuff. I mean, these are really simple to me. They're common sense things. But for some people, it might not be. Maybe maybe instead of you don't have a composting area, maybe you just take all your uh, uh, refuse from when you're making vegetables or a salad or whatever and you put it in your green bin. Maybe we do stuff like that. I mean, those are very small steps that we can do in our everyday life that might begin to create... Uh, a wave of awareness for everyone so that there's no longer garbage washing up on our beaches or along our highways. And so that the beauty of the, our planet and the places that we live can be seen, not because they're covered up with garbage, but because they really are there and they're beautiful. So another uh, show I want, I want to invite you to listen to or some of the health shows we've done on living your inspired life, you know, talking to Michael Roth, the chiropractor, and how do you readjust your, not only your, your, your body system, your energy system, but, but live a healthy life or herbalist Carol Wade of how do you use the plant life that we have access to, to create health within our bodies. And again, that goes back to the ancient Hawaiians and that that place of um, synergy, of connectivity, of sustainability. Uh, we listened to the, the conversation I had with Lewis Richmond, who was talking about the spiritual art of aging. I, mean, I just spent, like I said, uh, a few weeks with my folks that are 80 now. And boy, what Lewis and I talked about really makes sense and really helps in terms of watching an elderly person begin to feel that they can't do what they used to do or letting go, the letting go of all the things I used to do. My, my dad and I went to um, a, a beach that was very easy for him to access and go swimming in because they didn't have an undertow. And, and, you know, he said, this may be the last time I swim in the ocean. I thought, oh my goodness, wow. And he said, you know, I'm facing that a lot of, this may be the, every time I do something, it's like, well, this may be the last time. Now, Yes and no, but certainly we reach stages in our lives where we say, wow, this may be the last time, you know, as a, as a, a mom, um, you know, when I was schlepping kids everywhere this way and that and doing stuff with the schools to be involved in, in my son's education and his life and, you know, and then he graduated and all of a sudden it's like, wow, I, I'm, I'm not doing that anymore. I don't have to do that. And Actually, how do I feel about that? I kind of miss it. So we always, whether we're a, whether we're at uh, an an eighty year old benchmark or or younger, our life is all about growth, evolution, and I think most importantly, what I'm recognizing now is about letting go of whatever this moment was, whatever I experience now, whether it's emotional upheaval or happiness or picking up plastic on the beach, or driving my kid to school, or seeing my father swim in the ocean. That's the moment. And then in the next moment, it's gone. And letting it go instead of trying to hold on to it. My, my son kept saying, Mom, you're taking too many pictures. I'm like, yeah, but I want to remember this. He said, Mom, I'm going to remember it in my memory because that it, it's going to be in my heart forever. I was like, okay. 
So instead of accumulating the stuff that we think we need, the, the, the material things we think we might need, perhaps it is about holding it in our heart in a very light, filled, loving way so that our lives can become more um, connected to each other and to the planet that we are living on. So, I mean, those are just some re- reflections of my uh, vacation. <laughs> but reflections, hopefully, that cause you to think, that cause you to ponder and ask the questions. And then I invite you to go to livingyourinspiredlife.org and, um, and check out the shows we've done up until now. And if you are loving what you're hearing, like us on Facebook, Living Your Inspired Life Facebook page and um, and share it with friends so that the work that we do here can be shared and multiplied. And if you're really loving what we do here on Living Your Inspired Life, there is a donation page that you can go to on the website livingyourinspiredlife.org and you can help keep us sustained and staying on the air by making a donation, which will be greatly appreciated and lovingly accepted. So with that, I want to just end with a short quote by Ralph Waldo Emerson. To laugh often and much, to win the respect of intelligent people and the affection of children, to earn the appreciation of honest critics and endure the betrayal of false friends, to appreciate beauty, to find the best in others, to leave the world a bit better, whether by a healthy child, a garden patch, or a redeemed social condition. To know even one life has breathed easier because you have lived, this is to have succeeded. And so it is. Namaste. Well, that wraps up our chat for today. Thanks for joining me. And if you want to learn more, go to susanburrell.com. You can contact me through the website. There's blogs for you to read. There are videos to watch. And remember, I am an intuitive healer and spiritual guide at the crossroads of life. And I would be more than honored to help you on your journey to live an empowered life. And so it is. Namaste. Namaste.